0: This episode of The Bittersweet Life is brought to you by Stackery. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the U.S. With stackery.com, you can shop at any U.S. retailer and ship anywhere at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same-day consolidation of your packages, and a tax-free U.S. address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, save 10% off your first shipment by using the coupon MANJA.
1: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are in the same room together. I know, we're sitting like super close like we we used to do back in the day. And we're sitting in your new apartment, which I've also never been in. And we are in Rome, I should mention. I am not in San Francisco. We are not doing a live show in Seattle. We are in Rome together finally, at last. I know. How do you feel? I feel good. I've missed doing podcasts like this with you. Yeah, it's been a little bit strange. There's not really a big gap in the show as you're listening, but it's been a gap for us because we've both been traveling a bunch. And so we did a lot of getting the podcast ready before we left. And then Tiffany was on book door and then I was flying to Rome and blah, 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 blah. But here we are, we've made it at last, and we're talking a little quietly because it's kind of late, and we meant to do this earlier, but you know, there's a baby to put to bed, a husband to talk to that I haven't seen in forever, Mr. Claudio, Mm -hmm. and so uh, here we are, it's a little after 10 o'clock, I'm not used to taping the podcast this late, you are, but it's always between 9 and 10 for me, and the weird thing is, you've listened to the show all along and you know we've had these reuniting episodes in Rome and i think the last time we reunited in Rome you were getting your citizenship that day yeah. we were just
2: together so it's actually kind of rare that oh i just saw you <laughs> i know when i i went to pick her up downtown rome today and it was like hey you know same thing different place yeah it was like definitely the first time that we've met up in a different place after such a short period of time it's just
1: bizarre we kind of take that for granted don't we i mean i just saw you but we were in seattle which is about 24 hours of travel away but at the same point when you think about it in the grand scheme of history it's kind of absurd that we could be in a different place so entirely in a different place i know and we're pretty lucky
2: that we're living at this time
1: we are do you think it's ever going to get any easier will there be like a porthole where i can just open the gate and be in rome <laughs> i hope so <laughs> that's my fantasy be yeah. really confusing. That in time travel. Which you kind of do just by knowing so much history. Mm-hmm. The weird thing also was we did a live show and then I left. I left and got to Rome before you got here, which yeah. is also bizarre. Yeah, that is weird. Because you were finishing up the book tour and I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, she left before my big launch at Mercer Island at Island Books. My mother was there. I would have liked to be there But you know, it was cheaper for me to fly earlier, so I left. But you know, I hear that I didn't miss much because you couldn't talk anyway. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get to that. Okay. What we really need to talk about is some exciting events that happened along the way.
2: Well, yeah. So I flew to LA first and had a really good first event. I had a sold-out bookshop appearance in LA, which was awesome. Pretty cool. The day before the event, which is I guess the day that I arrived, I was feeling really down my sister who lives there and has a lot of mommy friends there because she's got kids who are just the right age for the book. And she had insisted that I come to LA and do something there. And she was great. She organized this event for me. But the day before she was like, you know, I don't really know how many people are going to come. I don't know. I don't know. And I started to get like really down and I thought oh my god it's gonna be me sitting at a table by myself with nobody around I'm not gonna sell any books it's gonna be depressing because I have this memory of going into a bookshop and seeing some guy who was there to sign his books and sell his books and like nobody was around and I don't want to be that guy did you go talk to that guy I did actually I was I think it was really young I think it was in high school but I didn't buy his book because <laughs> it was not something I was interested in but whatever. I psyched myself up and we went I had my little niece and nephew there. And I was like, okay, you guys' job is to go out into the bookshop, find kids and bring them over and get them to buy my book. <laughs> and I was like, if you do that, I will buy you each a book. <laughs> nice. Yeah. They didn't help that much, quite honestly. Did but- you have to buy them a book? I did. <laughs> I bought them each <laughs> a book anyway, but they were good for moral support. The truth is that, you know, some people came, but not Everybody came at the same time, so it wasn't like an event. Event. I was kind of just sitting there, but of course, I wasn't entirely alone because my family members and stuff were there. But it was really great anyway because there were all these books. Like they bring out this little like mini book dolly, which I guess I had never thought about before. But all of these books were stacked up, and there were thirty-two. My niece was like counting them, and she was like my little bookkeeper. And every time a book would get taken away and bought, she would be like, okay, you've sold this many books. She sell Girl Scout cookies too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she does. And she sold 1,005 boxes. Wow. wow. Yeah. She's an incredible sales girl. But anyway, I guess I am too, because despite the fact that there were not that many people there that I knew, I mean, some people did come in my sister had some friends and some parents of her kids' friends come in and they bought some books and probably 10, maybe even 15 books were bought by contacts of my sister. So thank you for that, Monique. But the rest of them were basically cold sells. Whenever anybody would walk by, obviously if they had kids, that was easy. And I would sort of try to hook them in right away. If they weren't with kids, I came up with this great line on the spot. I just said, do you have any young readers in your life? It just worked. People would kind sort of stop in their tracks. And I ended up cold selling the other 15 books. Some of them were hard sells, guys. <laughs> yeah, so I just, there were some little kids coming through with their parents and some of them were like five or six-year-olds and the parents bought the book and some people didn't buy it and stuff. But yeah, and the, and the best moment, the best moment that day was these two little girls just like walked up to the table and they were all by themselves and they were about 10, 11 years old. And there was just something about them. They were just, it didn't hurt that they had amazing names, One of them was called Hero, which is just an awesome name for a little girl. And the other one was Veronica, which is, of course, as some of you might know, it's the name that I used to call Katie when we were young. And they asked me about the book. And the one called Veronica, who had just the most adorable little freckles over her nose and cheeks, she was like, oh my God, that sounds like such a good book. Oh my God, I love art. Oh my God, I want to read that book. And I said, are you guys here by yourselves? And they're like, no, we're with our babysitter. Oh, I was like, do you have any money? <laughs> <laughs> and, and the little girl called Veronica said, I have $20 and I'm buying this book. Oh, Yeah. And she bought it and, and you signed it and I signed the book for her and it was great. And so, yeah, I sold out all of the books and it made me feel so great. And the people at the bookstore were like, Oh my God, we've never seen a debut author sell this many books. So I guess yeah, it's great. I'm good at cold selling. What can I say?
1: Hey, you know, You got many talents, (laughs) not just the writing. No. So that was awesome. Yeah. One of the things that I found the most interesting, oftentimes when you tell a story, it's not something that I've heard before, but in this case, it is something that I've heard before, but but I really think that you need to tell it because we have just, not just, but we have recently done an episode about the guns issue and the fact that in the United States right now, it's uh, one of the pivotal focal points of the news. And so that's why I find this next story of yours so interesting as a person who usually lives in Italy and doesn't worry about anything now that swords are gone.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would do worry about things just not getting shot.
0: Right.
1: Side note, Rome is actually the one place I've ever lived where you just see AK-47s around. Or maybe they're not AK 47s, but whatever the militaristic guys that stand outside of every single museum, they are holding serious weapons all the time. I always have a slight pause when I just walk in front of them. They're sitting there talking and hanging out, <laughs> holding their giant guns. And I think, should I pass in front of these people? What would happen?
2: Yeah, no i never even think about that i guess because they're in uniform and they just seem you know like they're there to protect us or protect something the art. <laughs> maybe not but, us but they're also in the in the uh, metro stations okay. all of the metro stations and i think that's important in europe because although we don't have a lot of gun violence there is a certain amount of terrorism over here so that is one thing that we do have to deal with luckily in italy knock on wood there hasn't really been an issue with it but in other western european countries it has been so But back to the story, which doesn't have anything to do with terrorism. The day after this bookstore event that I just told you about, I did an author visit at a public school in the canyons of LA, a very nice, pretty affluent public school. I was set to do my little talk to the kids at 1 p.m., but they said, you know, why don't you come at noon? We'll have some lunch for you. And so I came, and I was sitting in a small room between the cafeteria and the kitchen that is used for parents who happen to be having lunch at the school so they can have a space to eat that's not the cafeteria. And I was in there with the librarian and a mom volunteer who works with the librarian on events. And we were having this really great lunch, actually. And in the middle of it, a woman runs in to this little room from the kitchens. She's basically yelling, lockdown. Lockdown lockdown. She's talking into a walkie talkie and she's saying lockdown and she probably said other words but I didn't register any of them. It's hard for me to remember those first few moments because my mind kind of stopped working. All I know is I was frozen for a minute and I turned to this mom. It's important to note that she was not a teacher and she was not a school staff member because as a mom and as someone from outside the school she did not know what to do she had not been trained as the other school staff would have been trained of what to do in a lockdown because she reached out her hand to me to take my hand and she wanted to get out of there which is not what you're supposed to do <laughs> um, you're supposed to stay put and lock down i not knowing what to do and seeing someone turn to me i just gave her my hand what she wanted to do. And I don't know why exactly she wanted me to come with her, but what she wanted to do was she wanted to go find her daughter. And I just thought, okay, this is a drill. We are going somewhere that they're supposed to go during the drill. So we run out of that room and we're walking through the cafeteria, which leads into a courtyard where all the kids are playing. And as we're walking or kind of running actually towards the courtyard, I turned her and I was like, this is a drill, right? And she just said, no, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. And at that moment, we reached the door between the cafeteria and the courtyard and all of the kids in the courtyard were just scattering. They were just screaming, running back and forth. And the teachers were sort of shouting directions to the kids of where they needed to go. That was the scariest moment for me, seeing those kids, seeing the panic, seeing the panic in this mom that was standing next to me that wanted to get to her daughter and didn't know where her daughter was and couldn't get to her daughter. I mean, that was the moment that I felt totally vulnerable. Anything could happen right now. Anything. Somebody could appear around the corner with a gun because I didn't know what was going on. None of us knew at that time. I was just frozen. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what kids feel when they see someone or hear gunfire, things like that. So um, we're just standing there for a second and this probably all happened in the space of seconds not minutes but i just have no perception of that the cafeteria worker runs out of the room that we were in and she calls to us and she says you guys have to get in here you have to come in this room right now she didn't have to tell me twice do i want to be out in the courtyard where mayhem is going on or do i want to be like in this small little room locked in i'm going in there and so i ran into um this little room so did the librarian so did this mom who was shaking like a leaf i've never seen someone shake so much in my life and the cafeteria worker she was kind of like the rock of the situation she was totally calm she was totally like she knew what was going on she knew what to do and she didn't seem panicked at all and so that helped us sort of all calm down she locked the door we sat down and i'm like what the hell is going on and this woman is shaking And the cafeteria worker basically told us what she knew, which was that there had been a man, this was a Monday, on the Friday, there was a man who lived across the street from the school who had guns and who was an alcoholic and a drug addict and who had threatened the school on the Friday because he didn't like like, the bells that they rang or something and the police had come long story short i don't want to go into all the details but they did take away one of his guns i don't exactly know how they were able to but they couldn't take the rest or they didn't know there were more long story short on monday he called the police and he was ranting and raving and making threats and all sorts of things and so they just decided lock down the school and they sent helicopters and the lapd was there and they all had their guns drawn now of course i didn't see any of this i heard the helicopter but I didn't see anything because there were no windows in the room, which I'm actually glad of. But it was a two hour ordeal. And, you know, I was locked in a very small room for two hours. Luckily, there was food in there. Yeah, <laughs> people seemed nice enough. Yeah, they were nice enough. I was very bored. My computer was in the cafeteria, which was also like their multi-purpose room where I was going to be giving my presentation. So I didn't have my computer. There was no cell phone reception, hardly any because of the location in the canyons. Like, I had my book. I was like, should I read it? Do you guys want to hear it? Like, I almost started reading my book. But it was a very bizarre situation, especially because I didn't know these people.
1: Yeah, and it's also weird to be in what could be a potentially worst-case scenario, the end of your life, and also be totally bored out of your mind.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and also just be with strangers, you know? But they were nice enough people, and I was comfortable enough. Some of the kids were probably in closets, or they have makeshift toilets in each classroom for this very situation and I heard from some of other kids and the kids afterwards that they were used the principal every so often came on like did a robocall and it was very clear from maybe 10 minutes in that it was not an active shooter situation so there wasn't that sort of panic of thinking someone is prowling around with an AR-13 or something you know that was not what was going on but it was nevertheless very disturbing yeah. the most disturbing thing was when I left you know all the parents were waiting outside the gate and they finally opened the gate which was when I left which was when the parents showed up and I just to see the looks on everybody's faces they had gotten the robocalls from the principal so they knew that it wasn't a Parkland situation but I don't think that as a parent that really makes you feel that much better like until you have your kid in your arms you're going to be worried and when I saw the looks on their faces, I it just h- broke my heart because no parent should send their kid to school and have to worry that they're not going to make it home. It's just, it's not right. And I saw that and I saw those faces.
1: What a strange thing to have happen when, what, two days into
2: being in the United States. I'm not joking when I tell you that the moment that I was standing in the doorway, looking at those kids running in, the moment that I thought to myself, this could be another... Parkland situation, I literally thought to myself, "What are the effing odds that the first day I set foot in an American school, there's this kind of situation?" Too
1: high. That's that's what we're uh, trying to fix. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's nuts. It's nuts. Yeah, there were protests a number of weeks ago, and you know, of course, everybody's posting not only the wonderful speeches <clears throat> that the kids are making at these different protests but they're also posting their signs some of them are very funny and very on point but the one that for whatever reason stuck in my head was one that said when i said i'd rather die than go to math class <laughs> it goes on but like this is not what i meant yeah. It's funny, but it's also a poignant juxtaposition toward the kind of drama of kids being like, oh my God, I'd rather die than go to the prom with that guy to like the very real thing that kids these days are dealing with. I don't know. I I don't even know if they joke like that anymore. If they, it's... they probably do. You know, gallows humor. Oh yeah, that's
2: true. I assume that they joke about it. Did it change how you felt about your uh, time in the United States? If anything, it just made me more resolute that... I'm not going to be moving my family to the States anytime soon. Sorry, mom. Ah, sorry, Claudio. <laughs> Does Claudio still want to move to the States? Anything he'd like to, but yeah, not anytime soon. Hi, Katie Bussing in here to take a moment to thank the
1: Beehive Hostel for their support of the Bittersweet Life podcast. The Beehive is Rome's homiest and most chill hostel since 1999. It's a sanctuary in the midst of the bustling city of Rome. And if you're planning a trip there, be sure to meet Steve and Linda when you go. Seek out the Beehive Hostel. It's social, it's eco-conscious, it's comfortable. Trust me, I've been staying there, and you should too. Back to the show. it was a brief book tour uh luckily i was able to fly up and overlap with you hence the live show which you guys heard on the podcast but it's interesting to me that it was such a week when i look at it objectively as a friend it's such a week of highs and lows in that regard like selling your 30 copies at the very first place. So the live show was great. It was so much fun. There were so many cool people there, and it was so fun to meet all these people that we've known of for years and never actually met in person. But then you also had the memorial service for your father when you were there, and I have not yet asked you what, what that was like.
2: It was incredible. It was hard. It was lovely to see my relatives, my sisters, my nieces and nephews, my in-laws. It was lovely for that. Everybody was in good spirits. Except me, my stepmom, you know, who's still obviously really, really suffering. I mean, we we all still miss my dad, but it's different when it's your spouse, you know.
1: Um, she would have seen him every single day for years and years. Yeah, exactly.
2: So it was it was a very positive experience. It was a beautiful day. Actually, I got to say that the entire five or so days that I was in Seattle, it was gorgeous. It was at least partly sunny every day. Mm-hmm. That's not that case from in March, at least not in my childhood. No, no, that's pretty unusual. And my dad's favorite animal is a whale. It's always been his favorite animal. And I remember I always used to think, someday when my ship is coming, I'm going to buy my dad an Hermes tie with whales on it because mm. he loved having cool ties, but that never happened. Um, i still waiting for that ship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll come eventually. It. Come on, ship. But anyways, he loved whales, absolutely adored them. And I always like buy him gifts with whales and stuff like that. So we went out, uh, really good friends of my oldest sister and her husband. who were also close with my dad and worked with my dad. They have a boat, the kind of thing where they could like take people on whale watching adventures. And they very generously took us out. I mean, we're a big family with all my siblings and their spouses and their kids and some of their kids have kids. We were like 35 people at least. So they took us out, just us, on this boat to you know, celebrate because it, was it wasn't really a memorial, it was a celebration of life, and to do the ash scattering. And I wanna say before the ash scattering, I, I can't remember, it was not at the moment, it was either before or after. We were all outside and someone had spotted a whale. And so we all went out there was this whale in the distance and every so often we would see the the sort of spray come up and we were all sort of like waiting and watching. And actually one of my nephews was like, does anyone know how to speak whale? And and I was like, I did the classic, you know, his son, you know, like the Dory from finding Nemo voice. I mean, that was kind of like the comic relief of the moment, but Less than a minute later, all of a sudden, the whale appeared right next to the boat. To the point that it looked like he might capsize the boat. It was right there. I think the tail like almost touched the side of the boat. What kind of a whale are we talking here? Orca? No, 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 a gray whale. You know the kind with like the kind of strange rustic look. <laughs> not the right word. There's a lot of rustic looking whales. No, but I mean it's not smooth. It's kind of got like like Yeah, it's knobbly. Nobbly. Exactly. Knobby. Knobby? I don't knobbly. know. Whatever. Knobbly doesn't sound right. Knobby? You Knobby works. Know, you know what I'm talking about. So it was that kind of grey whale. It was big. Then it went back under. And that to me was almost a sign, you know? And so that was really special. It was really amazing. And the the captain Said, I've never seen a whale so close ever. Mm-hmm. So
1: that was special. Yeah,
2: that's pretty great. Yeah, That's pretty great. No, we had talked
1: on the show, your father being ill and also passing away was strange because you lived so far away from it. And we had talked when we were in Seattle, just about that, the ability to deny until you're put face to face with it. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you not came to terms with it, but that it, it seems more real now?
2: You know, a little bit, I and mean, I saw his ashes, but it's not the same as seeing someone's body. It's still hard for me. It's, it's still hard for me, and then sometimes it'll hit home and feel it all over again, like it just happened yesterday. So I don't know, really, what to tell you. Hmm. That was definitely a high, um, but also a hard, it was a very like emotionally
1: charged trip. Yeah, so much so that you even lost your voice. Yeah, I lost my
2: voice because on the Friday, so I'd been I'd been in the States for a week and on a Friday I had a really busy day. I had like four different school presentations in the same day and then we did our live podcast, which was awesome. And then we went out with a bunch of our old friends and we talked all night. The next day I was on the boat with my family and you know how it is when you're talking with a bunch of people and on the outside and the wind and the talking and then then my sisters and i all shared a hotel room that night and we were talking all night and had a few cocktails and the next day on sunday morning i did not have a voice like i'm talking like i was like this it was bad i had a bookshop appearance that day (laughs) And so I had to have a little person talking for me. (laughs) A
1: very special person who you have heard on this podcast, Miss Suzanne.
2: Yeah, Suzanne Morrison, author of Yoga Bitch, one of our oldest friends. She was important to the book. She read it and gave notes for me three different times. She gave lots of advice as a published author herself. And so I felt it was appropriate for her to sort of read for me. And it was very different from the California bookstore appearance because this place it was my hometown. A lot of people came out for it. It was an event, you know, there were chairs set up. I didn't do the talk. Suzanne did it for me. And I was there sort of like whispering in her ear a little bit, but she did a reading and yeah, it was still really fun. Like it would have been better if I could have read, but it was still a good experience.
1: My mother sent a picture of Suzanne talking for you, so maybe we can post it.
2: <laughs> yes, definitely. I actually have a bunch of pictures that, that people took, but I'd like to see that one too. So, yeah. Yeah. So then what did it did it feel like to come home? I definitely wanted to come home. I miss my son dreadfully. I miss my husband. I miss my bed. I miss my closet. I don't you miss Katie. She was already here. <laughs> yeah, Katie was here. I couldn't live without her another day. Um <laughs> Don't wake my kid. Sorry. <laughs> and yes, I was tired from the constant go, you know, going and being on and performing. And... But I will say that there is something of a letdown after something like that. You work so hard towards something for years for a decade almost you know you have this goal and you're working and you're working and you're working towards it and you're dreaming of it and you're like is this going to happen is it ever going to come true you know and finally like the you, you keep getting going up or wrong like get the agent and you get the book deal and, and it eventually happens and it's done and you, you have this great wonderful tour with seeing amazing people from your past and getting to meet new readers and and all of it and it's all great and then you get home Now what, you know, beyond just writing, you know, the next book and keeping working. It's kind of like, well, as far as this book, what happens now? Is it selling? Is it going to go anywhere? Is it going to be a dud? Is it, does anybody know beyond the people in the two cities that I went? Does anybody, is anybody else out there reading it? Like you just. Listeners are reading it. Yeah. I do know that some of our listeners are reading, but writing like you've talked about also in some of the work that you do writing is a lonely profession. And you put this stuff out in the world and you're kind of like, is it going to land? You know, does it? Mm-hmm. And so if in that sense, it's been a little bit of a letdown coming back. And a little bit also because I feel like there hasn't been a lot of hype about the book. Um, there have there hasn't been a lot of money spent on the part of my publisher to like sort of advertise it. And so sometimes you just feel like I did what I could. I did this tour. But I'm just one person and like I can't go to every bookshop in America. Are people out there, are they going to see it? Are they going to hear about it? Is it on the bottom shelf somewhere and they're not even going to notice it? Because I feel like it's the type of book that, I mean, the cover is so awesome. If a kid sees it, they're likely to pick it up. And I think also the story is good. And so if you pick it up, you might buy it. But will they see it? Is anybody seeing this book? Yeah. It's called Midnight in the Piazza, by the way.
1: Everyone listening
2: is like, we know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, y'all have a copy. Well, you know, to end, I should just say, well, at least I saw it. I saw it in the San Francisco airport on my way to
2: fly to meet you to
1: do the live show. That
2: is still so incredible to me. I just can't believe it.
1: Well, an airport just seems so unlikely because an airport doesn't really have that many books. And so the fact that it
2: was there in this little tiny minuscule kids section I thought it was pretty cool. It was cool. And I'm having a really hard time getting it into bookshops here in Rome because there is not a British edition. It's there's only an American edition. So it's not available over here unless you order like 30 copies or more and none of the little English language bookshops in Rome are going to order 30 copies. Yeah they are so tiny. They're tiny. I mean, it's like they don't order 30 copies of Harry Potter. So why are they going to order 30 copies of this debut book? So I'm kind of disappointed in that, you know, and there's just, there's been a little bit of disappointment along the way. I think that no matter where you are in life, you always feel like you could be doing better.
1: Well, we should leave it there. But I am in Rome and I'm here for a while and we are going to try to record. We've got a whole list of potential episodes that we're going to try to get through as many as we can do in the period of time that I'm there with you having a son and a full-time job and all that stuff. So look forward people to us hitting the streets of Rome and uh, seeing what comes of this particular time, this revisiting.
2: And if you have any ideas for episodes out in about in the city we've got some really good ideas that we've cooked up that we're going to be doing but we're always open to more so if you have an idea for like a theme of an episode please write to us you can always email us at bittersweetlife@mail.com, or you can meet, reach us on our many social media platforms just search for the bittersweet life podcast
1: all right and until next time this is the bittersweet life i'm katie sewell in rome At Tiffany's apartment. And I'm Tiffany Barks, (laughs) owner of the apartment. (laughs) Talk to you next week. Bye.
0: Thanks to Stackery for supporting this program. Stackery is the global leader in international parcel forwarding from the United States. With Stackery, even though you live abroad, you can shop at your favorite U.S. retailers at prices up to 80% less than directly from the store. Stackery also provides free storage, same day consolidation of your package, and a tax free US mailing address. As a Bittersweet Life listener, you can save 10% off your first shipment. Just visit stackery.com and use the coupon code MANJA. That's M A N G I A. Thanks also to the listeners who've donated to keep this show going. We can't do it without you. If you haven't yet, visit thebittersweetlife.net and click the donate button. Any amount donated will be rewarded with a handwritten thank you note and our huge thanks.